This morning, we looked at Acts chapter 2. We're making our way through Acts. And the Bible says, And they that gladly received his word were baptized. And there were added unto them, um, unto the church, 3,000 souls. So, there were added unto them 3,000 souls. So, they that gladly received his word were baptized. The receiving of the word, and we looked at the gospel message. He said in verse, in chapter 2 and verse 16, For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So calling on the name of the Lord, believing on the Lord, and we saw from 1 Corinthians 15 that the gospel was preached by Paul, was received by the people, but the gospel was also received by Paul himself. Why? Because the only way we can be saved is through the blood of Jesus Christ and receiving the free gift of eternal life that he has offered to us. We receive that gospel. We accept it. And by accepting it, it means we believe it. Okay? So if someone is, you know, we're going to argue about who's the better quarterback, uh, Joe Montana or Joe Flacco. Well, you look at, the, you look at the, the stats, the wins, everything that happened, and the Joe Flacco fan, when you actually break it all down, will finally say, okay, I accept that. I, what are they doing? Okay, I, I'm changing what I believed. I'm accepting what has been said. That's what it means to accept the gospel, to believe the gospel. That's what we do. But what's the foundation of all of that? Let's look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And God said, let us make man. Okay, everyone get there. Genesis 1, 26. And God said, let us make man in our image. Now, why does it say our? Because of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fowl, uh, over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. All right, now how many of you know that already right here we have an argument with the culture? All right, we didn't evolve. There's no way that, that you know, a monkey or a gorilla turned into a man. And it's very simple. If it happened before, why isn't it still happening? Right? So that's simple. And then the people today who are trying to argue whether or not there are only two genders, well, we see here, God only made two. Male and female created he them. That's it. That's what he created. But that's not the only thing. There are so many fundamental and foundational doctrines in these first 12 books or chapters of Genesis. Look at chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3. In verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. 
And so he's hiding. They're now hiding from God because they knew that what they had done was wrong. And so this is the fall. Now, our new issue of the journal is about to go to print. We're proofreading. Some of you are going to help me proofread some of the articles this week. And um, the, the first article that I have here is by a pastor named H.N. Uh, Bowie. H.N. Bowie. He lived from 1849 until 1909. And these, these articles in this issue, they're all by black pastors, black Baptists. And this particular article is from a book called The Negro Baptist Pulpit. In 18, it was printed in 1890 by black pastors. And what they were trying to do in that book was coming out of the Civil War, um, there were people that really wanted to help these black preachers. And they paid for them to go to seminary and to be trained in the things of God. And then they went out, these men, they went out and they began pastoring, successful pastorates, teaching people the Word of God and preaching the Word of God. But the preaching of the Word of God didn't help the other Baptists in America know what had happened to their investment. And so they, they published this book so that people could see, hey, you've got some sound preachers that are putting out sound materials, and we're going to be training sound men. It's really an amazing work. And this article on the fall of man, was this the first one in the book? Do you remember? It was not the first one in the book. Um, did I already say that Patrick is the one who picked this and, and put these together? So... This is on the fall of man, and I'm just going to read you portions of it. it was, this is one of the best things I've ever heard. The first text is necessary to an intelligent understanding of man's original state. So what was man's original state? We were made in God's likeness and in God's image. That was our original state. In it, we see at once God's great condescension. He had to condescend to, to deal with us, come down from who he is to speak with us. Of course, he gave nothing up, right? He, he maintained his, God, his godness. Um, in it, we see at once God's great condescension and man's true greatness in purity and intelligence. So man was created in innocence and intelligence. How do we know he is intelligent? He had Adam name every animal. Profound intelligence in the original creation. Um, it appears that after God had finished his creative work, he looked out upon it and it pleased him. For he saw that it was all very good. And it seems that he needed a crown for it, a being superior to all else he had formed and next to himself. He, he had already created the animals. He had created the fish. He, had created, he, needed, he, he needed, he needs nothing. He wanted something superior to all the rest, and he created a man a little lower than the angels. Amazing, amazing. Under him, under God, Man was to rule the world of nature according to the laws he laid down. Thus, he determined to make him in his own image. Now, this is so important. After his own likeness. Listen to this. Man's uprightness was physical, intellectual, and moral. So, his physical body would not die. How about that? He was morally upright. And he was intellectual. His fall affected him in each of these features. Now, again, when you look back, sometime just Google the Bimini Road. The Bimini Road. 
there is a paved, huge paved stone road all down the eastern seaboard of the United States. What? Where did that come from? You know, we, we see these great artifacts, you know, that people couldn't see them until we had satellites. And we have these amazing civilizations, that, things like the pyramids that it's very difficult to figure out. How did they do the math to accomplish this? In look at Genesis chapter 11. Verse 1, and the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Now, if you have not marked the land of Shinar, you got to look that up every place in your Bible. When the Antichrist sets up his own image, you know where he sets that up? The plain of Shinar. All right. So it's this spot right here. And they said one to another, let us go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, behold, the people is one. And they have all one language, and this they begin to do. And now, look at what it says. Nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. It's hard for us to comprehend the intellectual capacity of the first people, the first humans. Intellectually, they were so far ahead of where we are now. There has been, there is so much genetic baggage that we have because of the fall. And it's getting worser. <laughs> Corey just waves at me. It is. Everyone will tell you, anybody who knows anything about it, the IQ is going down. It, it would just be amazing to know what these people could do intellectually. So, back to the article. Man's uprightness was physical, intellectual, and moral. His fall affected him in each of these features, right from the hand of the infinitely good and pure and holy God, it was impossible for Adam to be other than holy, righteous, than a holy, righteous, and pure man. However, the fall may perplex us, both in its cause and results. One thing is sure, and that is that Adam was made in the image and likeness of God. Created in holiness, under the law of his maker, he enjoyed unhindered communion with God. He was sinless. He was completely innocent. Adam and Eve had that kind of interaction with God. Now, this is the part that I really liked. Adam did not have a sinful nature and hence no tendencies to sin. How many of you wish that was you? Remember the song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. He had the ability to sin, which necessarily followed the high and exalted gift a free moral agency. So God gave us free moral agency. And then he points out a passage of scripture. This is where I was talking about it in Sunday school this morning. These guys had biblical knowledge. So in the 1800s, before computers, so far beyond what even pastors have. Today, many, me obviously, because I'm going to show you something that I had never noticed before. Look at, keep Genesis. You'll, you'll be able to find Genesis again. 
Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Heard a preacher called Ecclesiastics. He had a misprint in his Bible or something. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Verse 29. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 29. Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. God made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. But you know what? That is going to take care of the Calvinist. Because the Calvinist, um, Arthur Pink, he said that Adam had no choice but to eat the fruit. God had ordained it. He had to eat it. Folks, that's blasphemy. This verse of the Bible makes it so much clearer. He made man upright, and then man has devised and has gone after many evil inventions. So, he had the ability to sin, which necessarily followed the high and exalted gift of free moral agency. Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. The meaning of uprightness admits of no doubt as to man's original rectitude in his godlike nature. He was connected with the divine nature and made it and made in its likeness. And the goal of our restoration in the gospel is the recovery of this, or more than this, by our being made like Christ. That's what Christ did for us. And the Lord commanded the man, Genesis 2. Look at Genesis 2 and verse 16. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. This, let me see something. Is that printed right? Is that the way it was, uh, was that correct in your Bibles? Okay, in my mind, it sounded like it wasn't quite right. This was the first law that was promulgated upon earth for human government. Okay, so the first law God gave us, don't eat of that tree. That's it. That's the law. Don't eat of the tree. It was given by a holy being to a holy but subordinate being. Okay, I read that line to Dalton Robertson, and he pointed something out. So, There's a Bible teacher that he and I really appreciate. His name is Clarence Larkin. So, this is fun. Carol Brynick's father studied under Clarence Larkin. So, Clarence, so that would be Nathan's grandfather studied under Clarence Larkin. And Clarence Larkin, he's the one, he wrote a book called Rightly Dividing the Word of Truth. And he really helped us to understand dispensations. And on the age of innocence, the dispensation of innocence... He said this, Adam wasn't necessarily holy, he was innocent. Because holiness, it, you, it, it, holiness is not defined until you have temptation. Isn't that interesting? So he may or may not have been holy, but he was innocent. And so I thought that was, a, that was a good thing to think about. Now, I need to think about it more. Was he holy or was he just innocent? I'm not sure, but it's something good to think about, isn't it? All right. So anyway, apparently Bowie hadn't read Larkin. All right, so. And there was, so 
It was given by a holy being to a holy but subordinate being. And there was nothing in it opposed to Adam's nature. So the command, this command, don't eat of the tree. There was nothing in that command uh, opposed to Adam's nature so that there was every reason why he should and could have obeyed it. it I don't know about you guys. This, this helped me understand. So because he had this upright nature, this sinless nature that God gave him, he did give him free moral agency to choose good or evil. But there was nothing in his nature that would prohibit him from obeying what God had said. Now, for us, we have a sin nature. And so however much I try to obey, I can't completely obey. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from the body of this death? Right? Adam didn't have that problem. He gave that problem to us. So I love that statement. There was nothing in the command opposed to Adam's nature so that there was every reason why he should and could have obeyed it. It was a just law from a holy God to a godlike man who had not only never committed sin, but who had no sinful proclivities. By voluntary transgression, Adam fell from that holy and happy state. This was a mighty fall in which all Adam's descendants participated to the extent of becoming inheritors of a depraved nature from which nothing can deliver them save the atoning work of Jesus Christ. You guys aren't nearly as excited about this as him. It's hard to listen to something other than read it. Man, I love it. I love it. He said this. I'll skip through some of it for you. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned, Romans 5.12. Whatever was Adam's trouble in our... Whatever was Adam's trouble is ours today until we accept Jesus as our Savior and become restored to that image which we lost in Adam's fall. In him, we lost all, but in Christ, we gain all. Here is a meaningful contrast between Adam and Christ in relation to the tempter. Okay, now listen to this. I'll I'll just stop here in a minute. But in relation to the tempter, whose power both to whose power both were subjected, okay? Both are subjected to the temper, tempter, Jesus and Adam. Adam ruined us by yielding. And Jesus opened the way to our healing and redemption by not yielding. Isn't that a good statement? Man, I like it. All right, so we inherited our sinful nature from our father, Adam, for we sin today very much as he did. Listen to this. He put his wife, coupled with his own desire for self-gratification, before his God. Remember what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 2. It says that for Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived being in the transgression. Adam took the fruit not because he was deceived. He didn't want to lose his wife. He went with his wife. He put his wife before God. And the result of that was the fall of the human race. Wow. Let me read the statement again. He put his wife, coupled with his own desire for self-gratification, before his God. This we do now almost daily. 
by putting some earthly object first in our affections, thus giving it God's place. God is no more pleased with such conduct now than he was in Adam's day, nor is the penalty any less in our case than in his. Indeed, we are suffering until today the spiritual death of separation from the great source of life and must continue to suffer until we become heirs of the new life in Jesus Christ. Now listen, our sinful natures are too deeply depraved to be changed by anything except the power of God through regeneration. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, Romans 8, 7. How about that? In our fallen state, outside of the Holy Spirit, we cannot offer anything acceptable. There is no saving power in us. Jesus alone is our Savior, and all are alike. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's Romans 3. That's, that's verses 11, 12, 17, and 18. When you put it all together like that, that's what a statement. And so, oh, this, this is good. We had our conversation in the lust of the flesh. Now we are quickened into life by the Holy Spirit of God. And we know the difference between then and now. Then we were strangers and foreigners. Now we are of the household of faith, having been not made nigh by the precious blood of Christ. Then we had the spirit of bondage again to fear. Now we have the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And so, Eden is revenged by Calvary. Isn't that good? Now here, I'm done. But here's the thing that is so amazing about this. Now, obviously, he's much more eloquent than I am. But doesn't this just sound like something that was preached in the pulpit at Grace Baptist Church? So here we have this is 180 years ago. Something like that when this was written, 150 years ago. The message hasn't changed, folks. The message has not changed. And his ability to articulate it. It, it, this really is, and y'all need to get the next issue of the journal. This really is one of the best things I've ever read on this subject. I called uh, Patrick after the first couple of pages of this and just had to tell him, this is fantastic. I love it, and I couldn't wait to share it with you guys. Isn't it amazing? Some of these statements, Eden is revenged by Calvary. Praise God. He put his wife, coupled with his own desire for self-gratification before his God. We do the same thing. Our sinful natures are too deeply depraved to be challenged by anything except the power of God through regeneration. Just just fantastic. He had the ability to sin, which necessarily followed the high and exalted gift of free moral agency. This law that was given, don't eat of the tree, it was given by a holy being to a holy but subordinate being, and there was nothing in it opposed to Adam's nature, so that there was every reason why he should and could have obeyed it. It was a just law from a holy God to a godlike man who had not only never committed sin, but who had no sinful proclivities. And it was a voluntary transgression. That's what the fall is all about. That's why Peter preached. You must receive the gospel. And they did. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand together. I hope, 
I know it's hard on a Sunday evening. You've already been through some very heavy teaching up there. Others of you, you work so hard. And you come and you listen to somebody read somebody else's sermon. And you think, oh my. But I hope, I hope God spoke to you through some of it. And if you've never recovered from the fall, remember, the only way you can recover from the fall is through the grace of God, through the gift of eternal life. Because Calvary, Calvary was the revenge for Eden. He took care of it. He took care of it. I hope that you get saved if you're not. And the rest of us, let's understand what God has done for us through Christ. Amen?